you're listening to a Bellingcat Discord server stage talk titled Mental Wellbeing in the Workplace. The talk featured Bellingcat researcher Noreen Kachatrian. Noreen spoke to us about her recent experience of burnout and the realization that made her have on her work-life balance. During the talk, audience members also shared their own experiences and solutions for well-being within workplaces, including in the open source investigation field. The talk was hosted by me, Charlotte Ma, on Thursday the 27th of July in the Bellingcat Discord server. I am a mystery. <laughs> Mysterious face behind the voice. <laughs> Maybe at the end I shall reveal uh, who I am. But yes, for now I remain a mystery. <laughs> I, I actually, actually, I didn't know that there is a video option, so that's why I have remained a mystery so far. I can turn on the camera. Well, if the technology gods allow me. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's blocking you. Oh, there you are. Hello. Here I am with one of my kitties. He is going to be my therapy kitty here to support. Mm-hmm. He always does. All right. Thank you so much to everyone joining us today. Uh, we are honored to be joined today by Bellingcat researcher and trainer, Noreen Kachitrian. Noreen was one of the first Bellingcat staff members and has worked across many different topics since starting with us, from tracking the developments of a gold mining operation in Armenia to currently working with our justice and accountability team, mapping incidents of civilian harm during conflict in Yemen and Ukraine. Today, she is here for an honest conversation about mental health, something I think everyone in our field should think more about. Noreen will be speaking about her own experience, and then we will hopefully open up the floor to others to share and ask questions based on your own circumstances. Before she starts, I want to remind everyone here that although Noreen has had direct experience of what she'll be discussing, we are not mental health professionals. And if you're struggling, we encourage you to seek professional support. With that said, please put any questions you have in the chat whilst Noreen is talking. Thank you so much for coming. And Noreen, you have the mic. Perfect timing, because just at this moment, our cat started cat fighting, like fighting. So if you hear growls and hisses, that's not, uh, that's, uh, that's not me. That's, that's, uh, that's the aggression in the kitties. But yes, it's all good. I'm watching them. Again, let me know if there is any issues with my audio in the chat. I will not be watching the chat quickly uh, as often. So Charlie, I will rely on you to let me know. But yes, I'm Noreen. Um, I'm a trainer and researcher with Bellingcat. And uh, all of the disclaimers stand. Like Charlie mentioned, we are not mental health professionals or experts. Only at a capacity that we need to handle our own stuff, right? So and don't take any of this. Uh, take all of this with huge, huge, huge grains of salt. This is I'm going to be speaking about my experience. Um, and you do not have to be working, I think, in the field of open source research or um, conflict research at all to be able to relate to some of this, right? Uh, because all of this is just personal experiences. Um, I will just start with the lead. Uh, I will share my story or parts of it, and then the floor will be everyone's to discuss and share um, and um, yeah, comment and ask. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, shall I begin? Housekeeping taken care of? Okay. Um, 
we have had uh, articles, we have uh, a lot of resources, right? Uh, we have had a talk on the stage, uh, I think one of the first ones, on how to deal with vicarious trauma or how to protect yourself from the stresses or the trauma from your work to not bring this all into your private life. So we have all of the tips, we, pre like we preach this, we try to practice this, but uh, yeah, the fighting is ongoing noticed in myself and I've noticed in my colleagues that we do not always practice what we preach so strongly to others because after, before every training we give a disclaimer that uh, some of this footage might be some or traumatic to you so you're free to leave an exercise if you do not want to engage, right? But we always sit and we always engage and uh, most of the time we have no idea how this will affect us this time on the 20th watch of the same gruesome footage think we have become desensitized, we think we have a handle on this. So we are resilient, we tell ourselves, because if we were not resilient, we wouldn't be doing this job, we wouldn't be here today. And that's true. Also, yes, all of the practices, take breaks, listen to your body signals, uh, do not push yourself if you do not have to. All of that, yes, we do remember about rationally. We know this is what we should be doing. Sometimes there might be forces driving us to push too much harder. Because this is more important. Because I still can. Because I still don't need that therapy checking with the trauma specialist. And so I kept doing that for months. The trauma checking would happen next week. It never happened. And when my colleague, one of my best friends, Nick, would urge me, have you checked in with the trauma treatment? I said, not yet, I'm still fine. And then I would call him in the middle of the night, a month later, in the middle of a nervous breakdown. And he would help me through it, peacefully, beautifully. Then he would push me again. You've done the checking, not yet. Because this was more important. There is real suffering in the world, and we're trying to make a change, we're trying to help. And so, this is not just my personal my work life that I'm bringing into my personal, right? This is also my personal that is affecting my work life. So, the elusive work life, work private life balance elusive because it's not as black, black and white. It's not a work and private life balance. You can, your work cannot be healthy, cannot be functional. Your personal life is unhealthy and dysfunctional, right? But it is not your work life that is creating the toxicity in your personal life. It is not the traumas that you are taking upon yourself by looking at gruesome footage or other people's trauma that is affecting your personal life. All of this is imbalanced, at least in my experience, because your personal life is also dysfunctional and disbalanced. If you do not fix that, there is not going to be a healthy life ever. And so I went beyond that point. Uh, at some point, when I was on an off week attending a conference, it's few vacation days coming up, going to spend this time with friends. The explosion at the dam happened in early July. And 
at our team at JNA, we had to come together and start collecting all sorts of footage of flooding, of destruction. So I took time away from the conference attendance. I grabbed my laptop and I started working. I started collecting and it's all sorts of footage. You all have seen it if you have ever looked at the news at any point. So I said, I can do this. I can push. This is fine. This is important. This is important for generations. Um, and at some point, uh, I couldn't handle it anymore. There was footage that affected me in ways that I wouldn't have expected. Uh, my crack, my, the cracking point, I think, for me was the news and the footage from the flooded zoo. Then also the footage with uh, pets, domestic uh, doggos and kitties uh, on flooded streets and emergency notice from the security, from the emergency services that people, if you are being evacuated, please take your pets with you because they are being drowned on the streets. And I think this is this was my typical point. I said, okay, this is it. I'm disengaging. I've collected enough. This was not the point. I took myself further. I took myself way further the point, right? this point, I became dysfunctional. And the days following, I was in constant flight and fight. I had this buzz, this current in my body. I was engaged, I was socializing, I was fine, I was very social and functional, but I was not. And when we returned home, that same night when we returned home, at least I was in a safe environment. I crashed completely. I went behind the point in which I saw no point in existence. I felt like I am the most impo biggest imposter. I did not trust anything around me. I did not trust my partner's sport. I did not trust that I should exist because I felt like the biggest liar, the biggest fraud in the world. And I convinced that I cannot trust anyone's words because the, pe the opinion that these people have of me based information that I've provided them, right? And how I've behaved around them. Since I'm a fraud, since I'm a liar, none of this can be trusted. So I should know this is this none of this makes sense. What is existence? Partner was trying to bring Link Mac with conversations about our cats, who are the most dearest creatures to me. I love them. I would I would level an entire village from them for them. Lovingly, right? Um, I couldn't connect with them, couldn't be around them. I couldn't bring my toxicity, my dishonesty, my frauds around such pure creatures. It took hours and hours of this dark, get exhausted for my body and my mind to just get exhausted. <clears throat> and when it got exhausted, and everything fell into its place suddenly. Because if you have ever gone through psychosis, you will maybe be able to relate that um, in psychosis you have this almost psychedelic clarity and you are able to see everything for what it is. Because there is no noise, there is no anxiety, there is no overthinking and overanalyzing anymore in your brain. So whatever the data point that you see, your brain just connects. This is it. This behavior, this is this item, this is... There's no overanalyzing. Your brain just sees and receives 
where it interacts with. So all of the issues, all of this, uh, all of the core fundamental issues that have been causing my flight and fight's uh, survival last months, I could see them for what they were. I could see exact steps that I had to take to make sure that I do not end up in this dark place anymore because I do not want to be in this dark place. This is no one should be there. And I think as people, as community, we should do everything in our power to not only save people when they are at their breaking point, to try to compassionately be for, there for people to prevent the breaking point. Because when people break, there's a... I like to say that in some twisted way, I am appreciative of this experience, that if it didn't happen, I don't know how I would be functioning still in that stream survival mode. No one, like honestly, realistically speaking, right? It's not a beautiful spot and no one should go there. It's dark and it's scary. Um, so yes, um started taking better care of myself, started worrying about work. This work is not uh, the essence of my life, and it should never be for the longest time. I made work and worries about work, stress about work, anxiety about how I'm going to perform the essence of my life, and it should not have been. I realized that I should prioritize my well-being, my enjoyment, my fulfillment, my gratifications from social interactions, from just pure pleasure, from sip of delicious tea on the balcony and a good book should have this instead of worrying how I'm going to perform at tomorrow's training <clears throat> because this is the time for that now, right? And I realized that I very, very strongly need therapy again. I am no stranger to therapy. I have had I've done therapy for years in the past, but due to reasons I had to pause. So I went back to therapy and it's obviously much easier to go and process, analyze your things with a very good specialist than by yourself. It's way harder to get into loops as we tend to do. We overanalyze and psychoanalyze ourselves. I'm taking better measures and more constructive uh, measures of uh, handling my generalized anxiety and depression. And I find it that these measures help me a lot. And I wish that people would more open to current methods and treatments. And uh, the bottom line is that at the end of most days, by the sometimes very extreme ups and downs, at the end of most days, I wrap up my work at around 5, 6, 7 p.m. and that I have accomplished what I had to do for the day when it comes to work. I do not think about following hours, what I could have done more. I do not think about what tasks I have planned for tomorrow. I just wrap up work and I am feeling accomplished for the day when it comes to work. And now it's time to make music, go have a walk, try to learn to ride the bike finally. Or whatever, lay around and watch movies, right? Because then I feel accomplished. And while my entire life I lived with chronic headaches, my colleagues will know that I am the chronic painkiller pain killer. Um, <clears throat> I haven't had headaches for over a month now since my experience and since I started taking better care of myself. 
and the only headaches that I have, take a painkiller and it actually works. The medication takes care of the pain because it's actual painkiller caused by something very particular and not generalized anxiety and fog and of that stress and all of that. And when I go to bed now, I can sleep. I break. Well, if he's here, he can comment later. I, whenever it's morning for him, I'm still awake. Whenever it's afternoon for him, if he takes me at midnight at his time, I might respond to me and it might be like 5 or 6 a.m. for me, right? I am always awake because I can never sleep because all of my nightmares, all of my everything, just my body seizes when it's about to go to bed. It doesn't want to go to sleep. Right now, when I go to sleep for over a month now, I am tired. I do not notice the process that I'm falling asleep. I my head's on the pillow and I feel that the day is done. This was it. I have nothing else to do. Didn't miss out on anything. Tomorrow is another day. So the answer to the elusive, how do we achieve work-life balance? How do we make it so our traumatic jobs, our grueling footage that we watch all day does not affect our private life? My experience, the answer is that there is no private life. This personal life. Not stifle your personal life and personal experiences. Do not make them private. They are not. Your work life is also your personal experience. And there is no way that personal life and work life can be in any sort of balance if personal deep raw experiences are hashed away and stifled away and never spoken about or discussed. And so come to the dark side of OSSI, of what do we call it this days? <laughs> We are not superheroes. This is the perception. I, I have received this quote-unquote compliment so many times after or during trainings or after I present on especially impressive uh, case studies. You guys are superheroes. How do you guys do all of this? We are not superheroes. We are very, uh, at least my colleagues and myself too, we are very empathetic, compassionate people. And we just know that this type of work can be done and should be done. And in a lot of cases, we internalize so much, so much, so much trauma and experiences just without being even aware to it and feeling that we have to stifle this because we have to keep going. So we're just humans. We also break. It's okay. Because there is ways and there is hope and life is life and the problems and the issues are not going anywhere um, if we ignore them not going to magically disappear right work with traumatic materials all the time and one of the tips when working with traumatic gruesome material is Mute the audio so that you do not hear the screams, the airstrikes, the bombs. <clears throat> to me, that's not useful advice. And to me, that's avoidance and escapism. I, I understand that it can be ways of mitigating trauma or preventing trauma. But if we do not hear the airstrikes or the bombs or the screams, it doesn't mean that they are not happening, right? 
So that's my perspective. Not quiet yourself, do not mute yourself to your fundamental issues. If you are not aware of them, it doesn't mean that they're not inhibiting you or preventing you from living your life to the fullest and finally finding you see balance in whatever it is that you're engaged in. I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this wasn't too much. Uh, again, all of this is my personal experience. I'm not here to advocate for anything uh, or whatever. I just wanted to have an honest talk that, yes, there is ways of mitigating and preventing stuff, but sometimes they don't work. Sometimes they're not the core issue that we're trying to resolve. Thank you. Thank you so much, Noreen, for being so honest and also for, for being so brave uh, to basically bear your soul in front of strangers like this. Um, I know that it's been highly appreciated while you've been speaking. Uh, people have flooded the comments, kind of giving you love and support. So thank you so much. Yeah, please save the chat so that I can read all of this later because I don't think I can go back. There is a lot. I, will. I would love I will. to read this later. Okay. Um, so we have a few questions, um, if you're happy to take them. Um, the first question I wanted to ask uh, before I run into ones that were in the comments is you talked about kind of pushing yourself to the further and further and further. Looking back, if you're able to look back, what were the kind of early warning signs that you ignored? Um, what would you have kind of been screaming at yourself now? Uh, to have noticed, I don't. I don't think there's an easy answer to that. But um, I should have caught on myself on the driving forces behind my actions. Right? Why was it that I was so insistent on geolocating this this particular video from this particular conflict? Right? Uh, if I'm going to be honest, then I'm going to start talking about a bit of more, quite a bit more traumatic experiences. So there was in this one particular video from the my origin, my home country, which is also in war right now. And this particular video footage uh, uh, featured female soldiers who had been mutilated and tortured before an officer. And so I just, I became obsessed with this one video. I had to geolocate it. I had to push out a publication on this. It, a writer, she never did. Um, it pushed myself and day and night, I was trying to geolocate it. And in my mind, I was telling myself that this is, I'm doing this to raise awareness of the conflict, that war crimes are happening, etc. Looking back, obviously, and at the time, of course, rationally, I saw the triggers, etc. But this was not this was my main driving force, right? This was my personal experience, my personal trauma, driver's guilt, and also, etc. Having gone through similar experiences and abuse, it was me, my survivor's guilt that was driving me. And I could relate to this woman who had gone through such horrible suffering, and that's why I wanted to geolocate it, not to raise awareness, for example, for the conflict, which was reason, but not the main one, right? Uh, or why was I... Yeah, so being able to actually, actually identify my incentives instead of circling around the main issues, I would say. Oh, and, of course, all of the physical... Uh, uh, the headaches, the no sleep, functioning on two hours at most, a lot of coffee, 
um, buzzing in a party, all of that anxiety, constant anxiety about nothing in particular and about everything in general and specifically. So the physical signs. Thanks for sharing. If you have any questions, guys, you can still put questions in the chat. Um, myself and I think John Collar is also monitoring the chat at the moment. Um, Research and Julia asked at the very beginning of your talk, actually, does Bellingcat have a trauma specialist resource for their staff? Um, have you had any support from the organization? Um, yes, so I mentioned that I'm right now in therapy and this is this has been made possible through my workplace and uh, we do have uh, do work with uh, Trauma Treatment International. We have all of the researchers who work on similar topics, have access to check-in, regular check-ins, and we have also access to more sessions, which I right now fully uh, have. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate all of the support. I work with an amazing specialist. Shout out to Brooke. Um, I'm very, very happy. And all of this with the support of Balancat and Nick, my dear friends um, in particular. Amazing. Um, Timothy asks, you said you had the moment where it was the footage that you hadn't expected. Uh, he wonders himself, all the time, how he can prohibit himself from looking at something when he doesn't know what his trigger is. So I've been starting to believe it's more important to just openly talk about it. Um, and he says, thanks so much for sharing. Um, what would you say to that? How, how, do you, how do you stop yourself from looking uh, when you don't know what the trigger is? I, I, am, uh, I, am, I am not uh, the best at hand, man, managing and handling myself when I become obsessed with footages, right? Uh, it's a few occasions it took my partner physically removing me from the computer to stop engaging with the footage at 2 a.m. in the morning. So sometimes it's physical intervention. <laughs> have access to people who care around you. I don't know, have uh, actual distractions. Yes, have a pet, have a kitty around that can come and distract you and physically get you out of your and and physical space um have there was a needs point i think in one of the previous talks that have uh, giancarlo was talking about this connections to the real life around you right have your pet have your re favorite book uh nearby so that you want to reach for it um have a window so have something to physically intervene with or be intervened by if that makes sense. It made yeah. sense to me. I, don't know. <laughs> I think uh, Tristan in the last talk mentioned uh, being able to touch the grass uh, as well. It's just a reminder of being grounded, and I quite like that too. Eridis, uh mentions, what kind of therapy have you engaged with? Have you been in any therapeutic process that incurs any kind of exercises, like cognitive behavioral therapy, prolonged exposure therapy, X? They say if, if the question is too personal, feel free to skip it. Uh, but they were just interested in what kind of therapy you, you were seeking for um, this particular issue. No, it's, um, like I said, don't keep your personal private. If you have gone through experiences, share them. That's the point of uh, us. You might be wondering why I've gathered here today. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, cognitive behavioral trauma therapy. It's, uh, yeah, uh, CPT, uh, essentially, but also trauma treatment. Um, 
my past experience was CBT, and right now, the trauma treatment with uh, Brock. I can elaborate if you have any specific uh, questions or. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people will put uh, questions in the chat if they if they want to build on that one. Um, Sarah mentions uh, asks, I find that when I'm not physically feeling well, I'm much more vulnerable to being affected by the things I'm working on. I know that when I'm sick, I should not do difficult work. Do you have any tips about states of mind to watch out for and choose not to do this kind of work when you're in that kind of state of mind? So I do take a lot of breaks right now, right? Uh, and I'm not waiting for my body's signals to do it. So what I would say the most useful would be mindfulness again, but we will need to talk about mindfulness and awareness, but not wait for a breaking point to take a break, right? To take it when you still think you have a bit to go or a bit more energy to expend. So like in the middle of writing down an email, yep, get a cup of water, take it slowly, mindfully, and come back. And so like take tiny breaks. Do not wait for big breaks after big stressful incidents, I would say. Take over your process and do not rely on your physical body to give you the physical strong signals, I would say. Uh, Stephanie and myself had uh, similar questions, so I'm just going to kind of combine ours. Um, in terms of helping each other as colleagues, as people in this community and in this Discord community, how can we help each other kind of spot these signs in ourselves and also uh, support each other when we flag that we're feeling um, a certain way? Yeah, so I've stopped having uh, chit-chat and small talk with people entirely. I, when people ask me how I am, I actually give very elaborate answers of uh, ups and downs and hows and whats. And I have noticed that the more you talk about yourself, the more people open up about themselves. And so what I would advise is when people ask you small talk uh, questions, try to elevate the small talk into at least medium talk and then elevate it from there uh, higher, right? Because um, in my experience, this is when basically <laughs> conversations about nothing in particular and everything at once can very quickly turn into sharing circles in which people are sharing their deepest, most vulnerable experiences and worries and discussions on how to help each other, which I have had experiences with uh, in the past months personally. So when you're asked questions, actually give answers. And when you ask people get phrase this in a way which would which would imply that you want an actual honest answer right that you want to engage with this person on a deeper level and not just superficially and we're talking about kind of mental health and mental well-being in the workplace do you have any advice for people who for example are nervous or possibly feelings feelings of shame uh in terms of coming forward and saying that they're struggling with something uh, to a boss, to an employee, um, and looking for support? Have you got any advice, um, having gone through that kind of step yourself? I have definitely been there. I have not always been the best communicator, uh, com person to best communicate her, uh, either, um, with content or, um, dissent, etc. So I was mostly trying to be as unconfrontational as possible to still be functional at my job and you know be involved in whatever it is that I needed to be involved with organizationally. 
even if I was ever, ever dissatisfied with something, I always try to find good sides of the same situation to uh, not really see the issues and face the issues. And so I would say, well, because of my recent changes, my communication has also changed. Uh, my way of talking uh, or expressing myself has changed, I would say. And what I try to do right now when I communicate with people, and this isn't, does not only relate to my job or colleagues, this is in every communication. When people ask me questions or when I ask people questions, uh, I give and expect as straightforward of an answer as possible. But when I'm answering a question, it's always, I'm answering this particular question, this is it. Try to not leave any loopholes in which this communication can be manipulated in ways which never intended them to come out as, right? And when I notice that a person is going in, in loops, circling around my question and not really addressing what I just asked them of them, I say, hey, 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 it's a tangent. Can we come back to what I just asked, which was this? So I'm more present and more engaged with the people that I'm around and, and I focus on this. I do not focus on side conversations, etc., uh, etc. Et I would say be as straight as possible, get your point across as concisely and so precisely as you can so that it's communicated, at least from your side, as narrowly as possible, right? And there is no loopholes to manipulate. Thanks so much, Noreen. Um, Timothy has an interesting question. Um, when you are working on open source research, um, he asks, is it, uh, does it have to be labeled bad to break down? Um, he says he's felt disconnected from emotions during research and war and often found himself, uh, feeling awful when seeing something awful. Uh, shouldn't it be normal to reach a tolerance level? So basically, where do we, where do we draw the line in terms of kind of having a human reaction to the traumatic imagery that you're, that you're seeing um, versus realizing that you have an issue, um, something that uh, needs to be fixed in therapy, for example. I mean, it's, it's never one size fits all, right? Uh, I couldn't give any answer to, yeah, yeah, to this. Um, there's a lot of people who do not have any effects at all. A lot of people who call themselves desensitized and feel bad that uh, they are sociopaths just because they are not breaking down at the side of gruesome footage. Uh, if you are not having these emotions, it doesn't mean that you are a sociopath or a, psych a psychopath. Uh, it's just that you have, uh, like I said, every to me in my experience, everything comes back to some sort of experience that I've had. It's the way I process this type of footage. If I process uh, gruesome footage which involves a specific topic or a theme, it's not going to be the same way that Giancarlo processes the same footage. All of this comes to personal experiences and uh, traumas that you may or may not have been exposed to. And context matters. So if you do not have the same reaction to the footage that I have, doesn't mean that you're, there is something wrong with you or that you do not sympathize or sympathize. It just means that you do not relate, maybe, and you do not share the context. So it does not affect you on a bodily level. You do not feel this in your body. You do not look at a footage of a woman has, who has been sexually harassed, for example, and can feel in your body how this must have felt for her, right? That's completely fine. Do not share experiences or have them, but it's especially important in those cases to be there for the people who are reacting to this stronger or in a uh, perceive, perceivably... Um, we're reacting to this 
Because again, you may lack context. And if the person is having stronger of a reaction to, to you, mild footage, it doesn't mean that you're psychotic or you are uh, sociopathic. There's context and histories and experiences that matter always. I think that's a really uh, clear answer, and I, I completely resonate with that. Um, I just wanted to note that we've got 20 minutes left. Um, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. And Noreen, by the way, if you want to stop this talk at any point, uh, because it, I know it's particularly taxing to talk about your mental health like this, um, we by all means can finish this talk early if needs be. So please just flag that to me if that's something that you want to do. Um, I wanted to actually say that if there's people uh, in the audience that would like you to, that would like to join the stage and share their own experiences and maybe brainstorm on whatnot, let's open the stage, like literally and uh, whatever. Maybe people do want to share their own experiences or make comments audibly. I don't know. I, as for myself, I'm fine to continue talking if that's the format that we want to continue. Fantastic. Um, if everyone can put in the, any questions in the chat, if you feel really strongly that you have a particular strong story to tell, um, you can make a request to join the stage. Um, I won't be admitting everybody just because of the chaos that will become this room. Um, but if you do have a strong story to tell, um, then you can put a request in. Um, but please send me a message uh, on DM just so that I can, I, I know who to look out for in the request. Um, Noreen, uh, Giancarlo asks, and um, again, has prefaced this saying, if you, if you don't want to answer this question, you don't have to. But in your journey, have you ever turned to philosophy or religion to help you think through this? And if so, can you talk a bit about that? If you haven't, is there a philosophy, reason? Philosophy of religion. Yeah, philosophy or religion. Have you ever turned to that? Well, haven't we all? <laughs> uh, sure, right now my bedside uh, book is uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, so I'm trying to become a better Stoic. So Stoicism I can very strongly relate to, of course, uh, religion not so much, so mm, I've never, yeah, um, meditate, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree, Giancarlo, meditation is one of the goals, yes. So, and I'm not, like, uh, usually I am a reader, the type of the reader that I have to start from the start and go and finish it, right? I never start a book at a random page, but this is how I treat meditations right now. It's just a book that I will open. And I kid you not, on a number of occasions in the morning when I would sit down and try to center myself and start the day, would open the book on a passage that would be so relevant for that particular moment and day. And I was like, incidents? I think not. So, of course, philosophy, different practices and rituals. So, highly recommend it for me. Awesome. Uh, Evie asks, um, and this I think has been echoed quite a bit in the questions, um, my concern about getting more into the open source research space is ensuring that I can meet deadlines, but I'm not used to configuring in how vicarious trauma may impede on meeting my obligations. What are some of your life hacks to work through this to meet deadlines, even when, or mean, or it means seeing more traumatic events in the process. And do you, and just as a follow-up to this, do you believe that we should be meeting deadlines if um, seeing the traumatic imagery is is causing you too much pain? Mm, could you repeat the first part of the sentence? Uh, the, the first question, please. Of course. Evie asked, "How do you work through? What are some of your life hacks to work through? Kind of this." Uh, the Im 
the possibility of trauma, looking at traumatic images to meet deadlines. Right, right. Hmm. I don't think I've ever been in such a high pressure situation where I couldn't uh, get the work that I had to do to a colleague. So again, during some of the research that I was doing on the conflict in Armenia that had a lot of traumatizing footage, and at some point I realized that uh, I cannot physically continue working on this research. I asked a few colleagues, uh, Carlo, Giancarlo, etc., to me out with this and pick up the topic right um so i would say if you do not have to if there is ways to be ask for help rely on your community and your colleagues and in my experience there was always a person who stepped up uh, both when i couldn't do training or couldn't continue with a particular investigation that i started and realized was too traumatizing or re-traumatizing for me Great. Um, Sarah's just asked, um, does anyone have any tactics that help restore hope? She likes rereading books that mean a lot to her. Um, Tristan mentioned underneath, talk to your normal friends about normal things. Um, Noreen, you mentioned a few things about your cat, for example, but do you have anything that restores hope, particularly when you are seeing watching something devastating, as you mentioned in some of the work that you do? Mr. Hub. Uh, well, yeah, sure. So I have three. We have three beautiful kitties, and every day their their presence is so grounding and so precious. So they give me a lot of hope every day. It gives me a lot of hope, uh, both for the present and uh, for whatever is to come to us and whenever. Hope is that there is going to be a new day. Uh, the hope is that uh, no one, no, ultimately no one knows what's going to happen and when and to whom. As it just so happened that a few of us, a few billion of us ended up here on this right and we can't find out. We're here to see what will happen, right? So hang in for the right, I would say, and just be there for the right and see what happens. Let's find out what happens. It's my hope. I love that. Um, we still got about 15 minutes, so if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. I know myself and Giancarlo are monitoring it. Um, in terms of the next question, Noreen, you mentioned earlier that uh, you found particularly some work uh, on your home country particularly uh, difficult. A couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned this to you um, previously when we were chatting, somebody put in the chat in one of the channels on Discord that they uh, were a Russian citizen, and they they were dealing with the idea that uh, a lot of what they grew up in uh, was now you know international news, and they started questioning some of the narratives and some of their childhood experiences. How do you continue to uh, report and research objectively when you're kind of not so much plagued, but have these experiences that are are kind of causing you pain uh, behind the scenes? How do you how do you keep that objectivity? Um, and what would your tips be for somebody who's facing that, who is directly reporting on something that they've had personal experience of? I would say it's because of my personal experience that I can actually cover this as uh, unbiased as possible, all right? Uh, because, for example, when I'm covering on wars or conflicts, my family has, in my three decades of life, led three wars. So, and I have physically been through the processes of all of this and all of the 
sounds and screams. So because of this, because I know what the actual people are going through, right? I relate to the people and the suffering and not at the geopolitics and the power plays in here because that's not how I relate to the war or any sort of conflict. We'll leave that to the experts of all of that. That's not why I cover a story. The point would be to show what is happening in a part of the world that the world has no idea about, right? Why would I want to give a wrong narrative? Because what would the point be then? Who am I trying to fool? Uh, what is the gain in fooling anyone that nation is right, a nation is right now being basically erased? So it's the point of being unbiased. That's my that, that I cannot relate in any other way. So I don't have any other answers or reflections on this. My way of relating to this topic. I would be very curious to hear some of my colleagues' takes on this. Right, Derek has done, John Carlo has done a lot of conflict research, and uh, may not personally, or they may as well relate. And I'm sure they have their own experiences. Maybe they would like to share because yeah. Uh, all sorts of us here. <laughs> Giancarlo, Eric, if you want to jump into the stage, you're more than welcome to. Uh, oh, here he comes. Um. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Thanks uh, so much for this, Nareen. Um, I uh, sat in this internal communication app. Oh my gosh, Nareen's giving the best stage talk um, that we've ever had right now. So <laughs> thanks for doing it. Oh my gosh, my camera is so blurry. Uh, it always does this. Um, sorry, the question was about doing conflict research uh, and, and how, how to stay objective. Yeah, so I started my, my career, I guess, uh, I'm from Venezuela. And the, the, the first bit of open source research that I did was uh, on Venezuela. Worked on a couple of projects in Venezuela. Um, yeah, I, I've always found it sort of like therapeutic almost to do work on Venezuela because I feel like I've always had a, um, what I think is survivor guilt. I left Venezuela when I was really young. And um, I had nothing to do with me leaving Venezuela. You know, it's not because I, I was smarter or, you know, better than people who weren't able to leave. So I've always really struggled with the idea that, like, by just random, dumb chance, I left when I was a kid. And I've had a wonderful life because I left. People that I love who never left. Because, um, like, again, chance, you know, they've suffered in ways that I read about. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about like journalistic objectivity, if that's possible, even objectivity in general, we all live life subjectively, right? Uh, that's, that's what experience and, and living life is. So I don't know if you can be objective, but personally, I've, I've always found it therapeutic to be able to say, okay, I can't help in another way. I'm dealing with other thoughts about having my country, uh, but how can I, how can I help a little bit? Maybe by doing good research, by letting people know what's happening, I can help a bit. That involves applying the rigorous methodology that we work with, which includes sort of objectivity. So I guess the answer is I have found that to be a motivator for being as objective as I can, supporting and researching. Thanks so much, Dankale. Um yeah, I, I would also say um, that when you are, it's a fine line, right? So when you're working on uh, something that's personal to you, it's the balance between, as Noreen mentioned earlier, the balance between pushing yourself uh, to the absolute limit to try and fix 
the problem that you have come from or the problem that you, you are fully aware of and have all the context for, but also kind of helping the community that you, you've come from as well. And I think it's, it's that balance and that line that you have to tread quite carefully and, and what can cause later mental health issues or, or things that push you to the, your absolute limit. And it tends to be things that you are personally very um, passionate about as well, because those are the things that you work hardest on, I believe. Uh, Noreen's got her cat there. So cute. <laughs> Noreen, Eridus asks, what are your personal goals going forward? Um, what are the happy things that you're looking forward to? Wait, okay, the cat needs to be released. There was a request for a kitty today. The ultimate goal is to just be well and balanced and grounded and there. I am I, trying not to set huge, huge life goals because life goals, if they're very big and achievable, uh, particularly unattainable, and there are moments, they just become sources of frustration to me. I try to avoid setting up very high goals and expectations to myself as of now, as of lately. I would just, I would say, yeah, just be there, right? And see what happens. Obviously, try to be a better person. There is always room. Be kind, smile to a stranger, give a piece of fruit, uh, take an Instax picture of a couple and give it to them. I swear it will make their day. All of the nice things. Uh, be respectful, be compassionate, be empathetic, and maybe there, right, for others as well, as much as you would others to be there for you. Beautiful. Um, last few questions, because I want to make sure that you can uh, go. Um, so if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. You've got literally five minutes. Natasha asks, are videos that actually depict violence or death even worth watching? I know not all videos have it, but I notice that important information like casualties or location can be attached in descriptions to videos. That's not all the time. Basically, Natasha's asking, um, what is the purpose of watching these um, gruesome videos? And, and is it best for mental health as, a, as an open source researcher? Mm, there is absolutely footage that sometimes is unnecessary for us to watch, right? There must be a case that we have already cracked. There comes in some additional footage. And uh, at this point, uh, it might not be, it's not going to bring any major revelations, right? But because you know the context, you want to learn more, it might not be purpose, but this might be obsession. So what was the purpose of that? Uh, in a lot of cases for people, it might be compulsive or obsessive, right? It's a point you are so invested that you have to know more. Sometimes there might be purpose because you might have been working on a case, you might not have been able to crack it. There was a particular instance of, again, a war crime and execution. There was years ago, there was news reports on it, but the, crack, the case was only cracked two years later when there was some additional more gruesome uh, footage that showed crime being committed along with the faces of the people, right? So sometimes if you don't watch it, the case might just go unsolved. I would say just be mindful of uh, exactly that. Is this essential to my work? Is this going to lead to any answers that I, to any questions that I need answers to? Or am I just doing this for some sort of twisted personal gratification? Uh, be it good or bad, uh, I wouldn't necessarily try to extend judgments onto this uh, emotions. Thank you so much for answering that. I know a couple of our researchers are sharing their own personal experiences in the chat. Um, do feel free to continue sharing those and giving each other advice. Um, in terms of 
just going forwards and, and things that people might be able to learn from this particular talk. Um, I know uh, myself, uh, I live with a personality disorder due to trauma, and I'm often acutely aware of the fact that I change my own personal persona when I'm working a lot of the time to kind of hide emotions, uh, even for myself. Um, and I know it's something that uh, a lot of people with mental health issues kind of struggle with, uh, especially when they go into work mode uh, and put this face on. How do you think uh, going forward so we can maintain a healthy alarm bell uh, when work takes too much of a toll? Um, have you found ways to kind of not just depend on your, your partner kind of shaking you and taking you away from that footage at 2am? What are your alarm bells going forward? And, and how could we all kind of encourage each other to kind of set those kind of alarm tones? Uh, absolutely. Uh, for the longest time, I was in a very toxic codependent relationship um, in which my everything relied either on my work or this relationship going well. So absolutely. And um, I'm happy to report that there is better and healthier ways to be in a relationship. Um, so absolutely, I do not uh, expect or do not uh, uh, hope that my partner is going to be able to always be there to make sure that I'm not crashing and burning, right? So that I'm that I have my own measures and mechanisms to identify my triggers and uh, disengage. So as I have my own interests, I read my own books. Uh, instead of watching the same series, I will watch my own things and I will do my own yoga practices. Uh, and if they want to join, they will join. So I have my own routines that are my own. I have a daily routine of yoga and meditation and journaling. Just journaling is huge for me recently. Um, I used to str I used to love writing as a kid, but then as I started adulting and all of my I'm a fraud and imposter syndrome kicked in, I couldn't even journal anymore because every time on the back of my mind I would have this idea that what if someone reads this? My thoughts would become actual. I would try to narrate them better for it's off chance that someone might at some point have access to my private personal journals and thoughts. So this became a dishonest activity and I couldn't even bring myself to do it. Right now, because I don't think that way, I don't take anything personally, I don't expect anything from anyone. When I'm journaling, I'm actually conveying my thoughts and my insights, my experiences. I'm talking to myself, essentially, right? I'm, uh, I've started a process of actually talking to myself, which will keep me in the present moment and uh, help me not talk myself out of things because I'm an S tier. I used to be an S tier procrastinator and staller. And also keep me accountable for my faults and gaps in communication, etc. So I don't expect anything from anyone. And I try to be as compassionate and but also aware of my own whatever's at all times. Amazing. I think journaling is a really good tip. Um, I once was told by a, a therapist. Um, uh, sorry, sorry. To, to clarify, I'm not talking about self-diagnosing. I just saw this. This is called self-reflection, right? And if people do not self-reflect, they are not going to see the gaps in their ways. Uh, self-reflection to me is a very important. Uh, excuse my communication if I somehow gave off the impression that I'm talking about self-diagnosing. Avoid at all costs. Uh, do not recommend self-diagnosing either. Uh, seek out professionals. There are specialists for that. Uh, do not think that you know better, uh, even if you have spent your entire life psychoanalyzing yourself or your families or friends. Trust the specialists to do their job. Thank you for, for that. Yeah, I was just about to say, um, 
somebody once told me to, uh, instead of kind of writing down what you want to say, kind of uh, saying it in kind of a news reporter style or even singing it to separate it from yourself as well can sometimes help. Um, we have so many uh, comments suggesting different ways of coping. I see that we're starting a belling jet uh, powerlifting circle to kind of uh, help with our mental health, which I love. A lot of fans of yoga as well, hiking, wandering. That's my, that's my thing as well. Thank you so much uh, for sharing Noreen today. Um, it's been incredible to kind of hear your story and also to hear others in the chat and have this open discussion on mental well-being. It really needs to be done more and I really appreciate the uh, bravery you took uh, to do this today. So thank you so much, Noreen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Stage Talk. If you'd like to catch a Stage Talk live and ask the guest questions, Join the Bellingcat Discord server by visiting www.discord.gg forward slash Bellingcat. The music you've heard is titled 1983 by Ben Elson and is courtesy of Epidemic Sound. <laughs>